After they leave our care, so we look after them for 12, 24 hours, we look at complications on day one through to nine, and complications are halved every day you spend in hospital. From the Central Adelaide Local Health Network, this is Research Pulse, where we discuss the latest world-class health research from Carlin and how it's contributing to world-class care. Imagine research that resulted in freeing up 8,000 bed days a year in the Royal Adelaide Hospital. That's the equivalent of adding three extra wards to help take pressure off the health system. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and this is something you don't need to imagine because it's the projected outcome from research into a new approach into post-operative care. More importantly, it will result in significantly improved outcomes for patients. Complications following an operation have been described as a pandemic and central to finding a solution is Professor Guy Ludbrook. He's Director of Park Clinical Research at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and he's also Professor of Anaesthesia at the University of Adelaide. And he joins us for this Research Pulse podcast. Guy, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Guy, post-surgery complications have been described as a hidden pandemic. What's really meant by that? We've known for some time that patients have really quite a high risk of complications after surgery. It's particularly a problem for more major surgery, people who are elderly and people with other chronic diseases. What we do understand is as our population changes, those risks and those complications and the cost of those are going to escalate dramatically. In fact, we've estimated uh, that this will increase at about 10% a year, every year out to at least 2034. So pretty much a pandemic, a, a phrase we coined before the other pandemic, but it is exactly the same. This is a problem. We know what's going to happen and we need to address it. Guy, that's an incredible future demand on the health system. Look, it's very large and it will mean that if we don't address it, access to surgery will not be possible for many people. So it's not something we can ignore. Surgery is needed to treat about one third of all healthcare conditions. So to not have access to surgery would have a major impact on our population's health. It's not something we can ignore and we need to deal with it. And by that access to surgery, you mean you just physically won't have the resources to perform the surgery because it'll be so clogged up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we know that if people have complications, they need our care in hospital longer and they need care even out of hospital longer. That means our precious beds will be less and less available over time. So yes, it will risk clogging up the system in any way you want to measure that, whether that be waiting lists, whether that be ramping. So it's not something we can do nothing about. Guy, obviously improving patient outcomes is the most important focus for you and your team. And I was surprised that between 15 to 30% of patients who have surgery will have significant complications and also the high rate of death associated with that. So it very much varies depending on the type of surgery. So I'd hate people to think if they were going in for a very simple problem like a broken ankle at a young age that they would be at high risk of major complications and mortality. No, they wouldn't be. But as you get into the middle and older ages and more serious surgery, we know that the risk of major complications goes up to about one in three, one in four patients. And unfortunately, sometimes that leads to death. We know from the recent study published some years 
years ago by David Storey and his team that about 5% of patients who have operations over the age of 70, which is not that old, especially from where I sit, have a risk of mortality. So it is a burgeoning problem. And does this then fall under the category of medium risk patients? Is that what you mean by that? Generally, high risk is someone that has a risk of mortality at 30 days of about 5%. That's usually the definition. So we deal with meeting risk at about half percent to 5% roughly. It's an imperfect science, but that's what we call medium risk. Guy, this is obviously a substantial problem. And to address it, I understand that you and the team that you work with have developed a new system of post-operative care called Advanced Recovery Room Care, otherwise known as ARC. What is ARC? So ARC is a new form of healthcare system, and a system is a slightly opaque word, but what it means is everything is structured and organised incredibly precisely. So what we do is we identify patients and their risks mathematically. We use a, a risk score from the American College of Surgeons, so we know who are our patients at risk and we know who will benefit from our care. So that's quite a precise mathematical computer program that does that for us. Then we see those patients during the operation. We liaise with the anaesthetist. We meet them in the recovery room immediately after surgery and look after them very closely until the following morning. What's looking after them closely? We have dedicated doctors and nurses, a high ratio of nurses, and a lot of equipment and monitoring bits and pieces to look after them incredibly closely. It's a complex piece of work, but really it looks after every piece of you very closely, very frequently. It sounds like a very detailed approach. What have you found? So what we've found is, firstly, if we look after you and look after you closely, compared to if you're on your ward, we find there are a lot of problems that have not been picked up on the wards. And that's not that the wards don't provide fantastic service, but if you're in a room and get your observations, your blood pressure and your pulse and so on checked every few hours, there's a big window of time there where things could go wrong and no one would notice. And so we notice. So when we look after you closely, we find there's somewhere between two and three times more problems, major problems, than are picked up on the ward. That's a significant difference. Look, we're not the only ones that have thought this was a problem. And you'll find other literature published with things like, if I can say, Apple Watches or those equivalent wearables that people look at problems. They don't look at them as well as we do with our specialised doctors and nurses. But we know from those sort of data there are problems that exist in other wards. So it's not just our hospital and not just this country. So there is evidence that there are problems what no one's really appreciated is that if you fix those problems, it may have a very positive and lingering benefit. I want to drill down into those positive and lingering benefits in a moment. But before that, you've recently published the results of the ARC trial in the preeminent surgical journal, JAMA Surgery. What findings did you focus on? So importantly, we published the fact that these problems had been undetected and we were picking them up. I think the next most important thing we published was the fact that after they leave our care, so we look after them for 12, 24 hours, we look at complications on day one through to nine and complications are halved every day you spend in hospital. So if we look after you and get everything, blood pressure, pulse, fluids, all those things exactly right, 
problems don't occur while you're in hospital. And in fact, they're reduced by 50%. So it's an enormous decrease in major and potentially very, very serious complications. Enormous, I think, is a bit of an understatement. So since the trial, how have you implemented the ARC model and what impact do you expect this to have over coming years? Right. So look, I think it's important that we all understand what we're doing, that we publish good data in a scientific uh, manner and that we understand, is this something we can afford? So we've done some detailed economic analysis, which will be published in upcoming months. But in rough terms, we get about a three or four to one return on investment. So if we spend a dollar, we get three to four dollars back, which is not a bad deal. And uh, if you get that in the non-healthcare world, you're doing okay. So it's an affordable thing. Furthermore, what we find is because our patients recover better, they spend less time in hospital, and we free up approximately 40 beds a day with our 10 beds. So if you like, we empty about three wards a day in the hospital. And further on, our patients do better downstream. So we've got emerging evidence they go home more, spend more days at home uh, after surgery, and we're seeing a signal to suggest the fact that their chance of dying is halved as well probably out to one or even two years, which is really quite a substantial finding. We need to get that published and looked at very closely in the peer-reviewed literature, but it's quite amazing really that care for 12, 24 hours may impact your health for months and even years afterwards. I don't think I'm overstating it when I say it's got significant implications, obviously for personal outcomes, but for the health system more broadly. I mean, in your career, have you been involved in something that has a bigger impact than this? Look, no, I haven't seen anything this big, but I want to emphasise that, you know, this is an incredible team effort. We don't work in isolation. We have a fantastic team of anaesthetists, surgeons, physicians, geriatricians, physios that work with us to get these results. It's not just sort of one person or one group in isolation. And it's very much the fact that we've been supported by our administrators in this. You know, it's always a bit of a gamble, if you like, to invest to save or invest to improve healthcare. And we're very pleased that, you know, this return has been much bigger than we might have thought. And importantly, too, it's got attention really very widely. So we're seeing another couple of hospitals adopting this very shortly in other states. And I'm addressing a large group from one of the other states very shortly. So, you know, I think this is something that will resonate in other hospitals in other states and in other countries. Well, in terms of resonating and getting that message out, I understand that there is an upcoming post-operative complications summit. Where can people find out more information about that? Yeah, so we have a website, which is thehiddenpandemic.com, all one word. And really, I think that's important. The day before COVID, the 6th of March 2020, we had 85 stakeholders from around Australia in a room and they saw this as a really important problem, these complications, and we devised eight national principles on which to improve healthcare. We've adopted seven of eight of those in ARC. So ARC arose from that first summit. The other pandemic has held us up. We're putting people together again on the 13th to the 15th of July because this is just one small improvement. There are many other improvements that we can do before, during and after surgery to meet this hidden pandemic. So we need to sit in a room, share our experiences and look at how we can join together to address this problem. 
Well, Guy, it sounds like you're making remarkable progress in terms of addressing this problem and a wonderful South Australian progression as well, I might add. But for now, though, Professor Guy Ludbrook, Director of Park Clinical Research at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and Professor of Anaesthesia at the University of Adelaide, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your findings with us here on Research Pulse. A pleasure. Thank you for listening to Research Pulse. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to contact us, you can find an email address in this episode description. This podcast was developed by the Central Adelaide Local Health Network. We would like to acknowledge the Ghana people and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge their spiritual connection to the land on which this podcast is recorded. As part of the oldest living culture in the world, we draw inspiration from their deep knowledge of traditional foods, medicine and remedies.